to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be continuing on with this uh, series that we're doing this summer um, called Train Us for Eternity. And the, the mindset on that is just that idea that um, we are sojourners and strangers here. This is not our eternal home. Um, this is not the place that we're going to uh, spend all of eternity. But we're, we're um, sojourners and strangers to the, to the point where we should be learning how the kingdom in heaven is eventually going to be. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Please don't walk away thinking, like, are you saying that we can live this out? Because you may not know this, but there are some kind of cultish people that believe that we can be good enough and, and we can be such good Christians that, that we are going to turn the world into to the kingdom of God here. And, and remember, Jesus really wasn't, that wasn't the mindset. There's going to be lostness. Remember even in John 17 last week that we looked at where he said, I'm not just praying for these. I'm praying for those um, I'm leaving and they're going to be left here. Father, don't take them out of the world, but I'm praying for those who would be reached through their message. And so there's always going to be, um, until Satan is ultimately uh, just wiped out, and there's always going to be the fallenness of this world. All of us, um, not only our souls, our, our minds, our hearts, our actions, but also a fallen world, fallen systems around us. And so we are countercultural. We don't have to make that really, really weird, like sometimes Christian cultures have done that. We're like, we've got to stand out, so let's just be really, really weird from them. No, sometimes you're right among them with lost, 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 lost people, and you're trying to be a faithful gospel witness, not only just by your stances or the truth that you know, but because you're being conformed to Christ, the way he treated people, the way he was compassionate and loving and, and caring about people. So this idea of train us for eternity is um, going through this process of looking at that. So the goal and purpose of this summer series, uh, and this is a summer series where this is, uh, this is kind of miserable for me, uh, if, you, if you knew my, the way I work and stuff. Um, and this isn't just a theological we do this correctly. But so we here at Sojourn and churches like us, we believe that you should kind of go through the scriptures, kind of just like if this whole letter, like today we're in James, we should probably read it in context. And there's some confusing parts. So we, we, they, they call that expositional preaching, where you're going through just the, the letter, the way it's laid out. So you're kind of going verse by verse, kind of teaching what that author's intent was and also what the Holy Spirit and, and God, his intent was um, in that. So this is hard this summer because we're not staying in one book and just going through it. And so for me, um, I'm a circular thinker. So when I t come upon this subject of doers of the word, well, obviously James has some, some, some great wording on that, but there's some other places that speak about that. So um, breaking off of uh, books and doing more of these topics is kind of hard for me. So, just, so we don't do a lot of that. That'll be our 10% during our time. So we go through books of the Bible. And so um, just know that makes me nervous uh, doing that. And so um, the purpose and goal of going through this series, though, was to help align our lives with biblical faithfulness. 
Um, and secondly, to remind us that as we're um, sojourners and strainers, that this kingdom is here. We are the kingdom of God, but not yet fully. We're still going to fail. We're still going to sin. Uh, when people say, hey, you're hypocrites, yes, you're exactly right. We, we were not Jesus. We're not going to be Jesus on this earth. We're trying, but you know what we should be uh, embracing is that we're a people of repentance. You're exactly right, I'm a hypocrite, and I'm so sorry that I hurt you, talked bad about you, gossiped about you, but you know what my hope is? It's Christ. So would you forgive me? That's not our workplaces, though, usually, is it? Like that, that, that's, that's not even our families, right? That's not even our marriages sometimes, right? And so um, that, that's difficult. But if, if we were humbled to that, to like, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, I'm a hypocrite. That's why I need Christ today, and it wasn't just a, a sinner's prayer at Falls Creek, you know, 14 years ago. I need him just as much today. And so that's that idea of train us for eternity. So we've gone nine weeks, and so I've got a little slide for if you're just joining us or if there's people listening online and you're like, hey, I kind of started into this late. Um, here's what we've kind of been covering. So uh, the train us for eternity. So we spent two weeks on just the idea of know yourself. And so we had some scriptures that looked at that. Know yourself and your doctrine. What, what my concern with that was, was we tend to pick up people that have really solid doctrine or theology. But we sometimes, I've been in circles where people with really solid theology and doctrine can have all the right lists and right answers and right stances, you know, but... but they're a jerk to people around them sometimes. And we've all said, yeah, we, we, we experience that. Sometimes we just come across with this air of superior righteousness. And instead of being loving and humble, our theology hasn't led us to grace. Our theology has led us to, I'm right and you're wrong. You're going to hell, you abomination. You pitiful lifestyle chooser. Instead of, uh, you know, Jesus would probably be like, yeah, hey, let, let me hear your story. Yeah, there's got to be repentance here. Do you see why you're doing those things? So getting into people's lives, loving, caring, uh, going from just high-end theology to true grace-orientedness. So know yourself. Paul told Timothy, you need to be aware of yourself. And we looked at that for a couple of weeks. And if you notice, um, the idea, if you, if you want to know the, the idea, the method to the madness of these, these weeks, I laid this stuff out on paper of what would be helpful to know. But then also I had to go, okay, so... What if we did this first one on knowing yourself? Because um, I, I don't want to get into teaching like, we've got to be like this, we've got to be like this, we've got to be like this, we've got to be like this. And then eight weeks in, like, oh, and a reminder, if you're doing all those things, try not to be a jerk, right? And so um, we're trying to get away from jerky Christianity. So um, what if um, this idea of we, we've got people who we, we do, we have theology proper down. We've got some good working theology. We might disagree about some things. Maybe even we're a place we, we appreciate the word. We're not doing just a whole bunch of silly videos, trying to make a whole lot of jokes, and trying to make it just funny and entertaining, cool fog, and, and then beautiful worship bands and all that. But like we're saying, man, the word matters. And so that I always know, you know, 10 years at Southern Seminary, you walk away with that. Like you're, you're going you're gonna to walk away with that. There's some guys, there's one guy, a really well-known guy that's got a huge exploding church. He didn't walk away with that, but we don't know how that happened. But anyway, most of us walk away with that, okay? So we're going to be that. We're not going to get away from that. We're not going to get away from the doctrines of that. So word heavy, we're going to go deep in the word. But I also want us to make sure that we're, we're, it's leading us to grace. And it's also leading us to understand that God loves us and doesn't hate us or isn't despising us. So, so let, let, me, let me tease that out a little bit. We're word heavy. We're theology proper. We, we got these things down. We know we're depraved. 
depravity of man. Terms that people don't, you, you throw that out in your, your office or your workplace, like, yeah, we were discussing the depravity of man this week. And people are just like, depravity? Well, they don't even know what that means. They think it's new, you know? And so and it's like, we're, we're, we're kind of proud that we talk about depravity. So much so, sadly, that if we read a book or we hear someone talking about the goodness of man or that, you know, man's got some good, and whoa, my gosh, what a heretic. See, see what we've done? We, theology proper, we're proud. We're proud of our depravity. God, God, I want you to know how, how, how much I understand that you hate me and despise me because I'm such a worm. No, no, no. What's shocking about the gospel is you are pitiful and unworthy, and he still pours love out on you. That's what should shock us. That's what should be amazing to tell people. And so, so the image of God and man, yeah, there are good things about us. You've got good neighbors. You've got good friends. You've got people that are lost. And so we see the image of God and man. That does never mean, and cross over to their goodness, the good of man is going to earn merit and somehow they're going to make it to heaven. No, we're all depraved. But still, there's good qualities about people. And so our theology... Are word heavy. Uh, we, we're expositional preacher preaching. We, the, maybe even the, the doctrines of grace, or uh, we're complementarian. We're elderly. And sometimes all of those things that we're right on, it should lead us to a humility. If we are right on those things compared to mainstream or this denomination or that denomination, if, if we're right on these things, is it because you're better, smarter? It was God's grace that landed you there. So it shouldn't produce pride. It should produce humility and more awe and worship. All of those things. So let's not be prideful because we, we do expositional preaching. I got online, heard your joke of a pastor, and uh, no, no wonder you have 3,000 people coming. You're giving out you know, candy corn. No wonder. And so let's not be prideful about that. It should lead us to humility and thankfulness if we're going deep in God's Word. And so um, when we look at that, I looked at those things and said a lot of people have those what are some things that we're not so good at walking in? Some of these rhythms that should be natural in our yearly calendar or rhythms of your own individual life. So, so thinking through Sabbath, Sabbath rest. A lot of us just don't even know, don't understand that. I mean, that was Old Testament. Does that still apply to us? We talked about how that does apply to us. And we talked about that. Now the idea of Sabbath and the rules in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, now Jesus fulfilled that. So Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And you should be taking some time to pause, look back, remember, be grateful, thankful, and rest in him for what's coming your way this next week. So Sabbath rest is about Jesus. A lot of churches don't talk about that. But we've got, we do expositional preaching. We're proud of our doctrines. We're proud of our lists of conformity. So Sabbath, abiding in Christ, soul examination. And that's, those terms even scare people. Like, what does that mean? Are we going to get mystical? No, all the time you should be examining, where's my heart at with Christ? The Puritans were famous of that every single day. And somehow in this weird way, it wasn't that they were making people doubt their salvation, but the Puritans were famous for every single day, where is my heart at with Christ? It's 9 a.m. What have I been doing in the last three or four hours? It's 1 p.m. Where is my heart at with Christ? It's 5 p.m. We're making several... What are we doing that's worshipful? That's, a lot of the Puritans had that ingrained. Not so much if I sin one time, I've lost my salvation, but just where's my heart at? We should be thinking through that examination. And immediately, examination should bring up those things that I say are huge for, for us. Conviction. The Holy Spirit, if you're taking the time to do that, you would be convicted over some things. Yeah, even just my attitude. I may have not gossiped, but man, my thoughts were pitiful about that person. Jealous, envious greedy for gain, 
All kinds of, and so, man, I'm convicted by that, Lord. Man, I need to change repentance. I'm confessing that to you. He brings renewal, and now I'm resting in you, Christ, to change me from that. And now I see you're changing me. Now I worship you more. You did all that. I'm closer in love with you because of what you've done. So those things, if we're walking through those rhythms, again, churches, we're steeped on some of these lists or even conformity to external things or our theology, our stances, add in the political, add in blog sites, add in all that. And we got those things down. Are we good at living out these other rhythms? And so um, abiding in Christ, caring for and loving one another, disciple-making. We spent two weeks on disciple-making. So you see a little bit of the, the method to the madness? This wasn't just a hodgepodge of cherry-picking some ideas. It, it's like these are things that we should be walking in. So we spent some time looking at that. And so a couple of weeks on disciple-making in the last two weeks. And then also now today we're going to look at doers of the Word. So if you want to turn to James, um, and the whole idea here is, I think that we feel this. You may not have labeled it this way. In an age of unpredictable times, uh, of uncontrolled um, things going on, an impure age, we can remain faithful, and God actually uses it. In the history of the church, you don't have to get fearful because of the politics or the government or the leader or the extreme liberal agenda. Guess what? That's always been the case. It's not new for America in the last 40 years. Um, and so the gospel was God's plan in the middle of that. We don't have to be fearful. Um, so it, it was always an opportunity for the gospel. So, so the, the, the darker it gets in America, we may not get in the next 20 years as bad as Ephesus was when the gospel hit. You got any temples around here where, where people make money for taking in their children and adults using them and, and it being in the name of the Lord? Or sacrificing kids in the name of a, of a god, a false deity? That, that's pretty rough. Like, we'd probably have the protesters, right? You know, like, we, we'd probably go, hey, we can't let that happen. And so that's how bad those Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, that's how bad things were. There was always these lifestyle things. And, and God said, my Jesus can defeat that. My Jesus can save those people that you even despise. And so that's what we're looking at. So train us for eternity. So let's read in James chapter 1 here, um, 19 through 25. Now, I'm going to focus on verses 22 and 23. Uh, but I, because I like expositional preaching, I don't want to just pull those, that, that little verse out because it starts with a but, especially as a contrast word. So I have to like mentally give you a little bit of con, uh, context. So let's look at, um, we'll start in 19. So James chapter 1, you can look on your device. It's up on the screen also. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, Father, we, we pray that you would 
take what your intent was of these scriptures. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come and open our minds to understanding that that this is not a prayer um, because you're supposed to pray in a service. It's not a prayer because you're supposed to pray after you read. It's a prayer because if we look at this naturally with our own hearts, the way we're bent, we will not have understanding. So we need you to grow us. We need you to give us spiritual insight into the depth of your word to make us more like Christ, to train us for eternity, to actually be doers of these things that sometimes we're really proud about looking intently at, to be doers of these things that we're really proud that we've heard or that we, that we know. So would you help us to, to transition to being doers of this word and all the facets of that. In your name we pray, amen. So um, let's look at that first little bit there. Um, notice that um, in James's mind that, that he says that he's assuming that we are not going to be good at three things. So he says, um, we are not naturally bent. We are not naturally bent to be slow to speak. Anyone, anyone have that? So some people are just quieter, and so you're like, oh man, this is a good one for me. I'm actually a little bit better. How does that work on you when someone disagrees with you? How does that work when there's confrontation? How does that work when uh, you have a strong, strong feeling about something? Does it ever produce anger? Well, so, so see, so it works for all of us. So he's assuming that, that we are not good at being slow to speak. Um, that we are not slow to anger, James, uh, and that we're not, um, sorry, we're not quick to listen. We're not slow to speak, that we're not slow to anger. Um, he uses those signs, kind of like these blinky yellow signs uh, on a curve of a highway. And so um, as he's showing you this, he's going, we're not naturally prone to be like this. And there are ramifications for that. It produces anger. And, and, and most of us, we're not even aware of how angry of people that we can be. How much anger is in your heart? Again, um, God will be able to show you things that, that will bring anger out. And you think, it's, it's them. They're causing that. No, no, it's anger in the heart that he wants you to see. I've been shocked. I was never an angry person. And then we had kids that got to a certain age. I was like, these kids, they're, they're feeding me anger when I'm sleeping or something. Like they're coming in and giving me spoonfuls of anger and they're doing the And God's going, oh, no, 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 no. No, they're acting like kids should act. They need correcting all that, but here's the deal. And meaning, what I mean, should act like he expects them to sin, and you're wanting them to be Jesus in your living room at three and five and seven, and they're not. And so, what's coming out of that is you're showing anger. And so, so that that's some context there, okay? Um, but just want you to notice. And then I want you to notice this next section. He says this, For the angry man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness. And so two big things here. These are two words that we may not use a lot. So mortification and vivification. And so notice he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That The idea of putting away the old self. So putting away, he's saying, kill those sins. Put those to death. Allow the Spirit so Romans 8, 13, 14, that, that we're allowing through the Spirit, we're putting to death, we're mortifying things of the flesh, all these evil things. And this is steps towards, don't, don't lose track, this is steps toward being doers of the Word. First, you've got to put these things away, mortify some things, and notice the next step, he brings this together, vivification. This is this idea of receiving. So in an in a, in a action, you must mortify these things, put these things to death, these sinful habits. So what is that for you? What, what, are, what would fit into the category for you of 
um, what words does he use there? Um, um, filthiness. What's filthiness? What's the areas of filthiness? I'm not talking about dirt on your floor. What filthiness in the heart? What filthiness in your mind is God saying to you, put that away, mortify that. And you need the Spirit's help in that. And you need the gospel repeatedly. Not just a one-time decision. What filthiness? What about, what's the next uh, phrase he uses? Rampant wickedness. And we're just laying the context here. So what's some rampant wickedness that's going on in your heart? And so for a lot of people, I try to remind them that. Uh, so for us, we feel like, well, well, hey, I'm not doing these things at least, God. There's a lot of controls around your life. Societal controls, religious controls, um, beneficial controls. If, if there were no consequences, what would your heart lead you to want to go do now? I've talked to some guys for, if, and they're trying to establish the righteousness for me. And I, So if your wife would never find out when you're on those business trips, what would you go do? If, you're, if you wouldn't lose your wife and your kids and your job, what would your heart want to get into just, just to try and go and enjoy? We don't like looking at that, do we? And the God's going, that's how dangerous your heart is. So for women, I don't know what those cats, I don't disciple a lot of women, but so what, what, if we took away the side of controls of you know, what, what people are thinking of you or, or you're losing your husband, losing your family, disgracing your, what, what would you go off into? And God goes, that heart is there. Don't think that you're so right and you're so perfect. Rampant wickedness. What would your heart, God's going, that's there if it wasn't for these graces that I've put around you like marriage and family and religion and, and a church and, and societal norms. Like, so he, there's, there's evil in the heart that we haven't even exposed. And God's going, that's how dangerous the heart is. So still, this is context. Put away those things, mortify them, and now receive the implanted word. So now we're going to make that connection. Because I think that if we're not here, here's what's happening in the church. We come out of COVID, 60% of the church, 65% of the, 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 the church people have not made it back yet. They, they didn't know that the doors were open. They're still like, oh, I don't know. Are we doing mass or not? So we just can't go. We didn't know if we're supposed to go, you know. Do they have kids? So people are making excuses of not coming back, right? And so in that, what's going on at the heart level? And, and here's what I think happens inside the church um, when people that did come back, and then the ones that didn't, there's a lot of boredom. They're, they're feeling like, I'm not growing. There's not a lot of passion. It, it probably is a very um, lukewarm Christianity. And part of that, what they're not realizing is, is you're not mortifying sins of the flesh. And you're not living vivification, life-giving, soul-giving things that we've been talking about. So you're not doing, and you're not being doers of the word. What would it be like in your Christian life if you were abiding in Christ more and killing sins? Do you think that might be a little more passionate? Think you might not feel that distance between you and God, like God's just some floating cloud out there that's just this powerful force, and you're just trying to keep the rules and do as good as you can, and hopefully at the end you're going to get in because of your false creek commitment. And so, no. That, that, and if, if that's how you're living Christianity for 20, 30, 40 years, why are people in their 40s and 50s going, I'm just checking out of the church and I'm fine? We can go once or twice a year. The, the scary part of that is there's no love for Jesus in that. These things that I'm talking about, they keep us a warm heart for Jesus, growing affections, and those growing affections ripple over to the people around our lives. And so um, there's this, this idea of... Um, the key idea of mortifying sin, the action of putting away certain things, and then also vivification, receiving with, with meekness. So, so let's take that idea. That's running commentary as we enter into, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, 
deceiving yourselves. So uh, let's piece this together. We just spent two weeks on the idea of disciple making. And I was pressing this idea of, idea of investing in a few, one or two people um, that you had asked the Lord to bring into your life that you could maybe just meet with to grow spiritually. And so if, if we, I said if we were a place where even 10 of us, a small group like us, even 10 of us, 15 of us decided for a year, I'm going to have one other person that we're going to go through some scripture together, meet once every week or once every two weeks, once every 10 days, and we're going to memorize some scripture. We're going to open up and just read a little paragraph and, and be honest about whether we're living that out or not, whether the Lord changed. What if 10 people just did that? Investing in a few, pouring your life into someone else or being poured into um, that, so that's Matthew 28. So I purposely didn't use Matthew 28, Great Commission. Most people, especially if they've been around me, I harp on those things. Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Make the connection. You're not a true follower of Jesus if that last phrase, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. If you're not a doer of the word, you're not a, a disciple of Christ. He said, Uh, go and make disciples. So the emphasis is not go. The wording on that Greek word is like, as you're living your life, I'm supposing you're going to be living your life. As you're on your way through life, make disciples is the main verb there. The make disciples is is an ongoing process. He said, you know, so there's the baptizing aspect. So we're not just making converts and then just making them sit. No, we're, we're, we're teaching them to obey all I've commanded. That's being a doer of the word. So that's discipleship. So it fits in there. Um, so I would just submit a question. So let's pause. Let me get rude. So um, before we go any further, is there a chance that we struggle with being doers of the word? What does a doer of the word look like? What does being deceived look like? Would you recognize if you were being deceived? So we think through that. Is there a chance that we're deceiving ourselves? Simple statement, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, because if so, you're deceiving yourselves. Let's go to our series that we're in, um, Train Us for Eternity. I think the week one, we started looking at those ideas of um, uh, looking at yourself, of soul, um, just kind of looking at your soul, looking where your heart's at, um, some assessment going on. In that very first area, have you learned or sought the Lord on knowing yourself? And doctrine? So we spent two weeks on that. Know yourself and your doctrine. Have you paused outside of the service, went and got alone, and spent some time, like I said, that was my press to you, go and get alone and, and seek the Lord. So see what happens sometimes? Or did you hear that in the sermon and agree that would be a good idea and never took any action beyond that to really go, hey, Lord, Sankey said this would be a good idea. He tried to prove that point with some scripture. I need to know myself better. And, and, and remember, we're not talking about the mystical um, Eastern stuff of know yourself, like Oprah's talking about, or look inside your heart and find the good and be gooder. You know, like we're not talking about that kind of stuff of, of you know, those type ideas. But truly, so looking for Holy Spirit, is there some things I should be convicted over, some things I need to be confessing? The way I treat people, even though I think I'm right on my doctrines and right on my stances, like how, how does that come across? Have, have we done that? Have we taken the time to go, even, even 10 minutes, 20 minutes? So there may be a handful. There may be everyone has done that. But if not, it just proves just what he's saying. Hey, guess what? You're in the category of deceiving yourselves. I bet you could tell me your stance on politics or abortion or 
expositional preaching or elders. Got my stances. Haven't done that work of just the simple thing of, man, know myself and doctrine. What about the, the second area that we talked about? Um, anyone just made any life adjustments concerning Sabbath rest? Three weeks on, here's what the Sabbath is. Here's what Sabbath rest is. Here it's, it's actually in Christ. And so now that's, that leads to Sabbath rest equals abiding in Christ. Any adjustments? Anyone like, man, I've been convicted about that. Man, I need to be a doer now. I need to go get alone and go, God, would you show me what Sabbath rest looks like? Is there a time every day? Is there a time during the week that I need to set aside as a family? Should we be pausing and taking some time and, and looking back? So, Or do we just hear a sermon and agree and no change? Do you, do you see how we deceive ourselves sometimes? And maybe all, maybe maybe ninety nine out of hundred are going. No, we actually did. We, we we I took some time and I did that. But do you see what James is getting at? See what the Holy Spirit's going. I, I know you're, sometimes you're proud of what you know and knowledge points, but are you deceiving yourselves and not being doers of this word, being changed by this word? And so James says sometimes we're deceiving ourselves. So now he gives some running commentary. Look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently. And so this word looks intently is careful scrutiny. And so here again, our circles, careful scrutiny. Some of us know the verses about the Bereans. They would listen to what was taught and they would go back and search the Old Testament scriptures to make sure that someone wasn't teaching wrong stuff. So in our circles sometimes, man, it, it, we are careful scrutinizing not only every little thing, uh, but also if it's, it's outside the Bible, if it's books, and, and, and someone says a phrase that we're not even comfortable with, man, it kind of freaks us out. We're like, man, I've always heard this. And I, we kind of run to this little pole of safety. And so I'm not making fun of that because we do have to be careful and stuff. But when, when someone's only teaching solid, black and white, just solid, solid, solid stuff, and, 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 and everything you're being exposed to is that, be careful when external blogs is like, oh, yeah, man, that, that John Piper guy's just off. He's leading a cult. Tim Keller, he's just dangerous leading people off a cliff. Guys, we, man, just, I mean, they've, they've got more spirituality and closeness to God, and I, I don't even elevate. Like, when we're at conference, I don't try to go meet the guy and, like, shake his hand, like, oh, I got some holiness on me. Like, I, I don't even do that. I don't elevate them. But I go, man, they got a long track record. And they, they treat lost people in an incredible way. They never let go of their, their, their solid doctrines, but man, they love people in an incredible way. And so what I'm saying there is um, when we start looking at this, looking intently, we're good at looking intently at the Word. We're good at looking intently at our stances. And so he's saying here, um, as you look with careful scrutiny, staring, studying his natural face, and the Greek word there is the face of his birth. So let's think through what a mirror was. So he's in this metaphor of this mirror. So a mirror in those times wasn't glass like we have, like polished glass. Remember, it was usually metal, and it was kind of dingy, and weather would do things. And so the outer parts of you would be kind of blurry, right? And so it was never really good. So what's the whole intent of a mirror? Our whole intent of a mirror is for, to look into a mirror to see if there's something that needs to be corrected. Some hair out of place, or if you've got you know, a big booger on your face or something you just didn't know about, or whatever it is. And so a mirror's intent, the purpose of it is to see, is there something that is, shouldn't be there? Is there something that's a deformity or something that's out of line that needs to be corrected? That's the whole point of a mirror. That's why he uses this. Um, Sometimes we're very careful in our scrutiny over these tedious things, but we don't really look at ourselves. And, and, and he, James is saying, and you know what you do when you do see them? Like someone brings them up, we quickly 
go away and we forget what we just saw and we don't apply or change anything. And so he's saying, and you're deceiving yourselves if you're doing that. Um, we're highly concerned about these knowledge and stances, which are extremely important. Again, 10 years at Southern, we were scrutinizing over everything. Um, if you, you, you typed three words together, they had a program that if, you, if I went into a book and like I'm writing a paper over here, like a 15-page paper, and, and I like stole an idea. If you had like three words together from another guy like John MacArthur or Mark Dever or someone or Augustine, like they had a program that would detect it, and like now you're, you're, you're caught for plagiarism. Like, so you had to come with your own thoughts supported by these things. So, man, highly, highly scrutinized things. And sometimes we're so careful in those things that we miss, well, what is that produ- is that producing love? And grace, is that leading us to this? And so um, that's the point of the, the mirror. Um, do you guys remember when you were um, those teen years? Anyone just, do you ever meet people that go, man, I love seventh and eighth grade? Just, just great time, seventh and eighth grade. Because, because remember, seventh and eighth grade. Um, remember, some people, like your body just grows disproportionately. So, so either people get really big noses in their nose or their ears or, um, you know, something outgrows their head or their head outgrows their body or they shoot up and they're super, super like gangly and tall that everyone just stare like a giraffe or they're short and squatty and they're just waiting like, man, I just want to change. Uh, uh, your hair, it's always like you look in a mirror all the time. I remember just going staring and locking the door in the bathroom and just staring just like, what is wrong? What is going Going on, and, and, and bonus, but beforehand, I love this when we see kids right before that stage, like they're at the pool, and kids, no matter what shape or size or what, I mean, they could have, you know, they go to the bathroom, have stuff up on their back, and they're they're coming to the bathroom, just jumping in the pool. They're they're messy. They've got inverted nipples. They've got big belly fat rolls, and they don't even notice, right? And then they hit this one age. And you see, they, they walk up to the pool gate, and all of a sudden, they're covering themselves up. They're looking at everyone else. And so they're aware now. So that all happens at the same time. You're going, oh, my gosh. Have I always looked like this? This is horrible. And so um, I remember going with some friends, uh, Matt and Mandy Wells, and we're going to an OU game. And Miss Wells asked this question as we're in the van. Like, hey, what's the two things or one thing that you're most insecure about? And we were like seventh or eighth grade. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. Obviously, zits and uh, my ears. Like, I just thought everyone, 100% of people all, when I walked up, they'd be like, oh, nice to meet you, Sankey. And they turned and went, oh, my gosh, did you see his ears? And so I, I thought, my zits. So I didn't have, like, acne, acne, but I had, like, you know, like, some zits that would pop up. And I love the people in class who had, like, one pimple their sophomore and, and freshman year and another pimple their junior, senior year. But they talked about it in class with everyone around. Like, oh, my gosh, I've got a pimple. I've got a zit. And saying it loud, and you're sitting there going, thinking everyone's turning, staring at you. And so and Matt and Mandy, they her mom said, what about you guys? What are the things you're insecure about? And they said, my feet. I was like, your feet? No, no one even notices your feet. I'm talking about the head, the focal point that everyone sees, talks to, stares at, and so zits and ears. And so I had a fix for that. So as I would go and stare, uh, I was just, I thought, man, everyone just laughs at me for my ears. No one's, you know, you hear all these deep, like uh, 50 and 60 years old, you can still be dealing with it. Like, no one's going to like me because of my ears. If I only had flatter ears, people would love me more. My wife wouldn't think more of my children. People would be drawn to me if I had better ears. Some of you are shaking your head yes. And so um, I had a fix for it. Well, I got rubber bands, this big rubber band, 
and I cut holes. They didn't have hole punchers in that day. And I, they cut holes in cardboard. Some of them have heard this story. And so my mom and dad didn't know, and I'm in the bathroom, and I take this rubber band, and it was tight. And so it's wrapped around my head, and I've got these ru- uh, pieces of cardboard pressing down my ears. And I thought, by tomorrow morning, this is going to be fixed. And so, um, of course, miserable night trying to sleep. And then I get up the next morning, and literally I've got incisions on my forehead and down on my temple, and then rubbed raw like blisters, you know, from, from the cardboard and the rubber bands on my ears, and, and just thinking, and now I've got to go to school and explain, like, people are like, man, not only have huge elephant ears, but do you have, what's going on with your face? Because now I've got this ring around me. And so, all of that is like, man, I, I just wish I looked different. I wish I was mature where I was older. I wish I was, I, when I look at that, something needs to change. And so James is making this thing going, hey, you know what? When, when you look into that intently and you're focused on yourself there, there's a difference when a person goes and they look intently at Christ in his word. There's a complete difference because you go and you look at that and you see the deformities and then you go on and you forget and you don't change. You're not a doer of the word, but the one who goes and he looks intently at Christ. So remember, we've talked about um, this idea of 2 Corinthians 3, 18. So we all, if you're a believer, with unveiled face, and he used the illustration of Moses who had to wear the veil on his face from going up on the mount and then his face was shining bright. Now we all, we're not like Moses anymore. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So I'll just throw out there to you again, this idea of are, are, you, are you a hearer who's got knowledge points, or are you a doer? Are you going and beholding? Because what that implies is if you're not beholding and gazing at Christ, you're not being transformed. But you want more church programs. We want more church stuff. We want more things like this. And so, so this idea, you want change, we want transformation, but we're not doing the things, we're not following through on the things that actually change us. It'd be like in sports, you know, like you're, you're 110 pounds and you want to be 150, just ripped muscle and running a 4-4-40. And you're like, man, I really, really want that. I'm going to come out to the field. I'm going to look around. I'm going to study all the different blogs and all the different things. I'm going to talk to coaches about a workout plan. And then three months later, you're like, hey, man, nothing's changed. Like, well, I haven't started doing that stuff, but I know all the things I should be doing. It's not going to work, right? Um, listen to this, this quote by... Um, This is from a guy named Moffat, and then one by Spurgeon. A teacher or preacher may give an eloquent address on the gospel or explain ably some Old Testament prophecy about Christ, but when the sermon is done, it is not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in life. So I should be faithful, like putting a, I put it like every day, every week, I pray, and it's like, hey God, I'm spending this time, I'm praying I'm going to go and study the Word. I'm going to diagram this stuff out. I'm putting these words together. I'm trying to think through how that applies in life. I'm, I'm doing the hermeneutics of it, trying to think through the homily, like how, how you can communicate that well. But it does not matter how good that is, how good that study is, how good the commentaries are. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come and change hearts, it's all wasted. So I'm setting little kindling. I need fire to come and change hearts. I need the Holy Spirit, and I can't do that. And God forbid that you turn into the guy who thinks from your personality or your ability or your looks or your strategizing that you can do all that because you don't want that. I don't want to face him and go, man, this is all about you. And you use marketing skills and, and social media, and it was all about that. And so, no, Holy Spirit, if you don't come with fire, 
Something's got to change. So, so the, the sermon, something remains to be done by the hearer. So, so that's you guys, right? Think of the Chinese church. Some of y'all have heard Chinese church booming right now, exploding, right? Think of in the Muslim world. There's certain pockets in the Muslim world where it's illegal. You could be killed. Your tam- family taken away. Churches exploding. Gospels exploding. Salvations. Baptisms. People discipling one another at work together at lunch. In homes together. Anyone know of Chinese Hillsong? The China T for G? Doesn't exist, does it? Chinese church websites that are cool and trendy and shows the beautiful thing. Doesn't have that. Chinese youth groups, they're just blossoming youth group and everything. Young adults, young marrieds, 20s and 30s something, just blossoming and flourishing and people being saved. How's God doing that work? And it's blossoming. How's God doing that work when they don't have all those things that we go in, in the church? Those are important. What's going on there? They're doing the things that we've been talking about. Sabbath, abiding in Christ. Prayer is a high, high necessity. Word time is a high necessity. Now, my prayer, my word time, my fellowship, it's not 40 people in a big classroom in China or the Muslim world, right? It's four of us secretly meeting, and we got to hush and be quiet when people walk by. What's happening there? Because they've landed on the essentials, and sometimes we miss it. So their view of what the church is versus our view of what the church is. So are we being faithful in the things that, that he's laid on his word? Or are we being deceived, kind of worrying about and arguing about things that really aren't that significant sometimes? I'm not talking about if people are starting to argue to say, you know, Jesus isn't the son of God, or that we should just let, you know, uh, all kinds of lifestyles be the leaders. I'm not talking about those. Those are clear black and white scriptures, but the givens. But, but when it, it, it's stuff that big, huge denominations are fighting so much over and, and almost dissolving, and then Christian brothers and sisters are just writing blogs. I mean, you could have it could be me. So I mean, thankfully, no one knows me. But like, if I did something, when we started doing some stuff, and some stuff started happening at Peoria and 61st, and then 10 guys who have 100,000 followers up in New York because they write blogs go, hey, this Sankey Lynch guy, he's, he's done it. And they don't know us at all. They don't know what's going on. We, we just sought the Lord, and God starts doing something, and we start getting attacked. They don't even know us. And what, what, what happened? The Holy Spirit started doing stuff. We, we were praying, begging the Lord to do something in a broken area. Where, and I don't mean broken because this is poor and that's rich. Because rich is just as broken, right? So a half mile over there at Southern Hills, they need Jesus the same way that people in Section 8 housing need Jesus, right? So it's not, oh, that's the focal point. No, all of us. And us in the church, we need Jesus just the same as lost people there and those people. Now, obviously, there's a big difference when you're talking about evangelism versus discipling them. But are we... Getting that, that Sabbath and abiding and prayer and the word, disciple making, that, that's what's made up of the church. And it's exploding there. What's happened in Europe and the United States? It's falling apart. So, so would it help if our youth and our families and individuals started going, hey, you know what? I'm going to take what we talked about, about Sabbath. I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to contemplate where's my soul at? How do I come across to people? Is prayer important to me? Is Word time important to me. The essentials. Because James is going, hey, you're deceiving yourselves. If you got all these things right and you're missing this. And church history shows 
All big movements, revivals, all of this is for personal revival. For my own soul, for your soul, just personal revival. That leads to congregational revival. The one who looks intently at the, who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So he talks about that phrase, the perfect law, the law of liberty. Um, that's talking about the gospel. He's just talking about the gospel. So just like in 2 Corinthians 3.18, there we talk about uh, where the Spirit is, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So this law of liberty means that in Christ, Christ is our new law. And what happened at the cross? You were freed from, you were ripped loose. So, so sin controlled you beforehand. You, you, you might have thought you just made your sin. Sin controlled you at the cross. If you're a believer, now sin no longer controls you. You're free from that. You have liberty from that. And that doesn't mean liberty to go live how you want to and it doesn't matter. But now sin doesn't control you. Satan has no more control over you. Now, do we still choose from our hearts? Yes, to go sin. Do we choose to follow Satan's temptation sometimes? Yes, obviously that's a part. But the law of liberty has said, no, if you're staring at that, and so what does that point to? The person who stares intently, so we're back to 2 Corinthians 3, beholding Jesus Christ, looking at the law of liberty, the law of love, the law of the gospel, it reminds us that we're sinful, but the good news of the gospel is that you're changing. I can change you. I have changed you. So the law of liberty comes in and says, you don't have to stay that way. Um, so it's just some beautiful stuff. So uh, I'll skip what he says about this. Um, God's intentions through the word. You've got to think about this. You've got God's word, and God knew that the word would be revealed to you and it would reveal things about you. So the word has a purpose. Um, also add to it the spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and uses the word to change our hearts. Anyone heard teaching on some matter maybe 20 times that never affected them. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and goes like, hey, hey, that's you. That's what you're doing. And you're like, oh, wow, I've heard this 20 times. Never realized, never been convicted by that. That's the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I could go off on a tangent. Do you, do you realize how beautiful that is? Invisible, unimaginable, holy, perfect, God Almighty, who doesn't fit in anything, is going, hey, Sankey, let's talk. I see that little thing. No one sees it. I've made you aware of it. You see how loving that is? Stop. Stop doing that. I've got grace. I'll forgive you for that. And I can help change you. No, no, no. I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. That's hardening when you ignore it. You see how loving it is for the holy, perfect, magnanimous God to come to you individually and the Holy Spirit. That is a loving thing. That is you hearing from the Holy God. And we don't even give him that much time. Like it may be 30 seconds listening to you. Like we're listening to songs on the radio. Like, oh God, that's really good. Uh, getting a little bit emotional. Oh God, I need to be better. And that's about it. Like we, we don't take the time. And what would it be like if we did take the time and said, Holy Spirit, come and completely change me. And so when we don't do that, we've got God's word. We've got the spirit that we're denying and then also, um, he has the provision. He not only tells us, here's how you should be, I'm going to help enable you to live that way. And so it's disobedience. It's a slap in the face to all of God's process that he's put down. The things he wants to use, we don't take. But man, I can tell you what my stance is on abortion, homosexuality. And don't, 
People walk away, and the only thing they hear in the sermon was like, it sounds like Sankey says we shouldn't have a stance on homosexuality or shouldn't have a stance on abortion. That's not what I'm talking about. No, we should have clear stances, but how, how, do you, how do you apply that? How do you live that out? You walk around pointing people like you, abomination, you make me sick. Well, there's 52 or 53 abominations, and I have about 10 of them every single week. So, so let's not be so quick to just hate people and dismiss them. Let's go, man, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be in the abomination pool every single day basking in it. And so we should have our stances, but we've got to learn, man, I want to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, to the Word. And then he provides the grace to, to allow us not only forgiveness, but the grace to change you so you don't have to fall into that temptation the next time. It's disobedience when you're hearing only but not being a doer. doer. And also, you're deceiving yourself. Now, um, do you see why this would be important, this idea of investing in a few? Now, let's, now let's go backwards. Oh, knowing myself. You see why we wanted to talk about that first? Hey, if I am going to invest in, if two or three of you said, I'm going to invest in one or two people, man, accountability. Uh, sure, memorize the scripture. That, that's great. So accountability, let, let's quote our scripture together. I've treated my husband horrible all week long. I've been jealous and greedy, and I've worried only about myself and all this stuff. I've treated my kids pitiful, uh, but I've got the verse memorized that we went through. Accountability, right? Discipleship. Now, let's get to a deeper level. Do you see why this is going like, hey, now what's really going on? What's really going on? Because if we're going to change, we're going to, if the Holy Spirit's going to use us, then, then that's what has to happen in the church, personal renewal. Do you see why those previous means abiding in Christ? Do not look away and forget you're being deceived. What if we took steps applying those things? So here's the ways that you may be deceiving yourself. I'm just going to go through these quickly. This is kind of the last thing. Maybe you're acquainted with knowledge about God, and you're acquainted with lots of ideas about God, but not really close and intimate with God. And so if, if that, that's you, here's your altar call. And Sankey, that's it. God is distant. God is far away. I, I, I've been trying to do this, or what, but like, and I am. We're, we're keeping our, I'm not cheating on my husband, not cheating on my wife, not stealing, not doing, but like, I mean, God is so distant, but I've got all these things. I have ideas, I, have, I read these things. Man, are you spending time asking him for more of him? Confess that to him, I need more of you. So you're acquainted with knowledge or ideas, but, but not really close and intimate with God. Maybe you're comfortable, the second one is comfortable with complacency of lukewarm faith. Jesus speaks of that in the first of Revelation there. Are you just comfortable in complacency? Because you will not move to... Doing these things, abiding, Sabbath, prayer, the Word, getting with a couple, you're not going to do that if you're complacent. Mental, intellectual ascent. Sometimes in churches, you enjoy hearing new challenging ideas, spiritual thought, even challenging things. You, you love that about sermons, that, man, these challenging things, or blogs, or listen to people online, podcasts. You enjoy hearing stuff, you do not enjoy applying at a heart level. Again, did, did, are we just going through stuff and hearing, oh, that's a really good thing, and you can even bring it up to someone else. You're agreeing with it, but you're not being a doer of the word. Agreement with sermons and messages. Uh, emotional or affectionate connecting. So the power of story. Sadly, a lot of times, some places even teach that, man, as a pastor, tell this, this gut-wrenching story at the end that their emotions are all going to be drawn because people want to feel deeply. Well, that, that's fine. But if there wasn't conviction of heart and renewal taking place, what, what's the point of coming? We all feel sad for Sally. That, that, that's the point of the story. 
And then also just lulled laziness, a disobedience that is just as sinful as many other sins. So, so th- think through that. If you're a person that says, man, I probably am. I'm one who looks intently, studies, scrutinizes all these things, concerned highly about stances, views, perspectives, all those things. But man, you know me, like the four or five things that we've talked about even in just this series, I, I really haven't taken the time to go and apply that. I haven't got alone with the Lord and said, man, are you changing me? So I heard, I heard, listened intently, studied intently, but, but I'm not becoming a doer of the word. And so I think it honors Christ, and I think we become more like Christ if we, we follow through with that instead of just all agreeing on, here's what we're going to dress like. Here's what we're going to look like. Here's what we're going to act like. Here's what our children have to look like. Instead of that, you're going, hey, hey, man, we're all a mess. But man, let's put ourselves in this. And I think what it leads to, the beauty of that, is there's actually enjoyment of God instead of Christianity being just a therapeutic morals thing for us. And then you begin to go, man, I'm experiencing God to a greater degree. I feel more loved by God, even though I always sing it. And I love God more because I am doing those things. So as we close, I want you to consider those. If we're coming each week, attending, going through the motions, but not applying anything, not actually seeking the change, the Scriptures press on us, not seeking the empowerment of the Spirit, I think that we're being deceived. I think that, that that's what he's bringing up there. Is there a chance that we're being deceived? So um, as we go to the Lord's Supper, the way we do the Lord's Supper here, it's, it's open communion, meaning that if you're a person that is a believer, it's been discipled, uh, disciple. It's really a big uh, faux pas. If you've, been, um, uh, if you've been baptized and you're a believer and you're not in disobedience where you're running from church discipline from another place, um, we say you can take part in the Lord's Supper with us. And so we guard that table saying if you're not a believer, um, we say do not take part in the Lord's Supper with us. We would point you to the gospel that we've talked about today to say um, the altar call for you, that the Lord's Supper for you is first take part in Christ. So if you're not a believer, if you're a child and you've heard these things, go, I want that change. I do feel conviction for my sin. Ask Christ for forgiveness. Cry out to him for forgiveness. If you're an adult that's been away from the Lord and maybe you thought you were saved and now you're realizing, man, I, I really, I think my version of Christianity was, was just an altar call prayer um, for, for 40 seconds and there has been no change. I, I would say, don't take part of the table, take part of Christ first. And for those of our believers that, that even if you're coming from another church or out of town, uh, you can partake with us because we practice open communion. But we, we say that we do that cautiously. We always want to celebrate and enjoy the Lord's Supper, but we also want to have a, a sobering aspect as we look at the Lord's Supper as we practice it. So um, I'm going to pray for us. And as uh, Caleb comes up, um, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let me pray over the elements. Father, we are um, um, unworthy to partake. We're unworthy not only of the elements, but we're unworthy to partake of you. And yet, you blasted the doors wide open. You made it a a straight line to you, not a priest, not a person, but but to you through the cross of Christ. His blood was spilt in our place to atone for sin. His body was broken. He was physically killed so that we could have life and that we could experience resurrection. We know that he resurrected three days later, and we can put our faith and trust in that. So for those people, Father, that, that, that need to put their rest and trust in that, would you allow that beautiful gift? For those who need that renewal of that, preaching that to themselves, a proclamation of that, 
as we partake of the Lord's Supper, would you allow them to experience that kind of renewal? And would you allow us all those things to be doing that as doers of the word? Would you allow us not to be deceived? Would you allow us the time, the importance to go and get alone with you and show us where we need to grow? Show us areas of conviction, areas that we need repentance, areas that we need confession, and areas that you want to renew us. And then help us to rest in Christ, experience greater rejoicing. As we do this, we we do it in honor of you, and we do it as a proclamation to not only ourselves, but to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen.